You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. Today on Audio Interference, we're speaking with curator and arts writer Ryan Lee Wong about Basement Workshop, one of the first radical collectives of artists and activists working in New York City's Chinatown from 1969 to 1986. All the messages from pop culture present Asian American as like an apolitical thing. It was really shocking and liberating to find out that like actually Asian American politics is rooted in radical organizing and rooted in grassroots arts movements. Ryan's research and writing focuses on connecting Asian American movement histories to the present. He published an article about Basement Workshop in the most recent issue of Signal, a journal of international political graphics and culture. We hosted the release party for this issue at Interference Archive, where Ryan presented his research on the collective. My name is Josh McPhee, and uh, I'm a volunteer here at the Archive, and then I'm also one of the editors of Signal, which is the journal that we've come here to um, celebrate tonight. This magazine is sort of a labor of love. Uh, My friend Alec and I, Um, had been making uh, political graphics for different movements since we were teenagers. And we started uh, talking and traveling and seeing how there was this really rich tradition, um, particularly internationally, but then also in the United States, um, of different sort of art and culture and media related to social movements. And at this point, I think, I mean, I'm pretty proud of the fact that we've generated really like a library of this material. We have um, essays and interviews uh, in these six issues from, um, I don't know, I think I counted at some point, there's maybe like 14 or 15 different countries represented, um, decades from the the teens, 19, you know, 10, 1915, all the way up to the present. Uh, Stuff that's from originally in five or six different languages and really help to to push this stuff out there. In today's episode, we're sharing Ryan's presentation from the Signal release party. Then we'll share a conversation we had with Ryan about his research process, Basement Workshop's impact and legacy, as well as the political context in New York at the time the collective was active. Um, So I'm going to talk about uh, an arts and activist organization called Basement Workshop that was here in New York City Uh, and ran between about 1969 and 1986. And a lot of the research grew out of actually an exhibition I did here at Interference Archive, uh, which was about four years ago, called Serve the People. Um, And Serve the People was about this thing we call the Asian American movement, which was really the first time Asian American as a political identity was formed, right? Before the late 1960s, um, you either identified as your... Uh, ethnicity of origin, your racial origin, or um, you were called by the kind of white mainstream Orientals, right? So Asian American was a way to join the other kind of third world movements of the day uh, under political formation. Uh, So this is the context that uh, Basement Workshop grows out of. And then um, within New York's Chinatown, which is where Basement was located, you had for the first time the lifting of immigration quotas. So you might know that um, starting in 1882, Chinese were essentially barred from entering America, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act. 
This was nominally lifted in 1945, but wasn't really overturned until 1965 uh, with the National Immigration Act. And this act really is what transformed um, America's urban centers, um, America's demographics as we know them today. So it was a good thing, um, but on the other hand, Chinatown and <coughs> the kind of city and social services of the area were totally unprepared for this influx of uh, new Chinese immigrants. So Chinatown was a site of a lot of uh, overpopulation, of unrest, um, uh, of unemployment. And in 1969, um, an urban planner at Columbia named Danny Young was commissioned to uh, do a study of the neighborhood. And he did the study and he had gathered all these materia materials about Chinatown and decided that, um, along with some other activists who had worked on it, that uh, they should keep this going. Um, so you had, in the late 1960s, this flourishing of activity across the country. So Basement Workshop was only one of many organizations that were figuring out Asian American identity, that were figuring out um, how Asian Americans fit into this sort of third world front, um, that were figuring out uh, Marxist politics uh, as it related to them as Asian Americans, um, and we're figuring out what Asian American culture meant, um, and that's what we'll focus on tonight. Um, so Basement Workshop literally started in a basement, hence the name, a um, bunch of people gathering together, and um, what struck me looking through these photos uh, in preparing for this talk was how much the space looked like an uh, interference archive. <laughs> so you have um, a lot of things repurposed, right? Repurposed crates. Uh, I think these were used for shipping fruits that were kind of the mail slots. Um, old filing cabinets. Um, handmade bookshelves. A lot of people I talked to, uh, their first introduction to Basement Workshop, um, which they had heard of um, before even getting there as this kind of hub of Asian American activity. Uh, their first introduction was building bookshelves, right? Um, everyone kind of chipping in, uh, making something out of this space. Um, but Basement quickly grew into uh, something much larger. So they started in a space at 20, in a basement, then for many years uh, at 22 Catherine Street, uh, which I should note was where uh, the famous Pearl River Mart store started, one of the first places to sell uh, you know, red books and other things you couldn't get from mainland China. <clears throat> and also in the same building as the Chinatown uh, Health Fair, which became the Chinatown um, Health Clinic, now the Charles B. Wong Community Health Center. So really this hub of activity all up and down the building. And uh, for several years, they also had a loft space at 199 Lafayette. And the image I get from um, these photographs is just how much activity was going on all the time. Um, there are arts workshops, silk screening, film workshops, dance workshops, uh, poster making for rallies that were happening around Chinatown. Um, and I think I really love this image because I think it gives a sense of how much activity was going on. So this is the executive director of Basement for Many Years, Faye Chang. And she's sitting in front of a board uh, with all the different activities. Uh, it's a little washed out in this image, but all the different activities that are going on at Basement Workshop. Um, and unfortunately, we lost Fei Chang uh, just last year after a long fight with cancer. Um, but I interviewed her a few years ago, and she talked about how really 
um, what she and Danny Young agreed on was that Basin Workshop should really act as an umbrella organization, right? It wasn't a single focused uh, space or something with a single mission or a single political alignment. But really what she was interested in doing was providing um, a starting point or jumping off point for people and really assigning out tasks. So you want to do that? Great, go for it. Um, so that, in her mind, was uh, really the role of Basement Workshop. And I think led to a very particular and interesting mix of activity. Um, so there are four main areas uh, of Basement Workshop. There's Amerasia Creative Arts, which was all the arts programming. Uh, there was the Asian American Resource Center, which was interested in um, compiling and archiving Asian American history. Uh, Basement Workshop ran youth programs and ESL, actually ESL programs for adults as well. And then there was Bridge Magazine. Um, so talk first about Bridge. Um, I brought some copies, which are actually, um, I didn't bring them. They're part of Interference Archives collection, <laughs> um, donated after Serve the People happened here. Um, they're known for, number one, having very beautiful covers. Um, and were, it was really a forum for um, talking about all the issues that were facing <coughs> Asian America early on. Um, again, Bridge didn't have any one political alignment, but um, it was really a space for debates, especially cultural debates. So you had, for example, um, early on a op-ed asking, where is the um, where is the slopehead Huey Newton, quote unquote, right? Slopehead is a uh, derogatory term for Asians that was being reappropriated. But asking where is the kind of revolutionary uh, icon for this Asian American movement? Uh, and it kind of went into this long discussion of um, uh, Asian cultural norms, East Asian cultural norms, and um, asking when that leader would emerge. Uh, you have another review early on of Frank Chin's play Chicken Coop Chinaman, which was considered one of the first Asian American plays. And this article was really excited about this play, saying this is authentic Asian American culture because it blends kind of American vernacular with um, talking about the struggles and stereotypes of Asians in America. Uh, what's interesting is that a few years later, Bridge published um, a series of short stories called, I think, The Flying Fox of Snow Mountain. And Frank Chin, the playwright, wrote into Bridge saying, this is not real Asian American culture. You know, this is just old stereotypes and uh, Asian myths that are being misused. And you had the same critiques of um, writers like Maxine Hong Kingston. Um, but I think what's interesting about these debates is that in uh, the early 70s, the field was wide open. Uh, no one really knew what Asian American culture was. So folk music is kind of a theme in the night. I want to um, play one of the albums that inspired a lot of this work and that was very uh, closely affiliated with Basement Workshop's work. So this is widely considered the first album of Asian America. Um, There's a folk rock trio, Chrissy Jima, Charlie Chin, and Joanne Nobuko Miyamoto. And what they did was try to um, apply their new political consciousness, apply their new understanding of their uh, identity as Asians in America to these catchy folk songs. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like of the hip hop generation, so I also didn't really like folk music for a long time, but now I've listened to this album a bunch of times and I am into it. Um, so this album was put out in uh, 1973 by Paradon Records. 
Um, and this is actually very appropriate because most of what Peridon did uh, was albums like this from the kind of um, global third world movements, post-colonial movements. So they did The East is Red, they did Songs of Workers in Vietnam, um, they did, I think, albums from uh, African post-colonial movements, South American. Um, and so um, it's appropriate because a lot of Asians in America saw themselves at the time as part of this third world uh, struggle, right? Not as American so much, but as um, similar to the internal colony theory as people who are living uh, within these internal colonies, right? Of Chinatowns, of Manila towns, of Filipino towns. Um, but even before this album came out, um, Basement Workshop saw the importance of what these musicians were doing and um, put out this sort of hybrid artist book called Yellow Pearl, uh, named after that song. And Yellow Pearl is a pun on the idea of yellow peril, which is uh, this idea of the massive Asian hordes that are going to invade uh, America. So um, kind of inverting that stereotype. And it's a really beautiful uh, collection of graphics. Uh, there's actually a copy here at Interference if anyone wants to look at it. Um, and one of my favorite uh, two pages to juxtapose are these two. Um, on the left, we have a piece by Tamiya Arai. And on the right, a piece by Larry Halma, who later went on to create G.I. Joe, uh, the comic book. Um, but Tamiya Arai is still very much engaged with um, the arts community of Chinatown. She's part of the Chinatown Art Brigade. And what I like about juxtaposing these two is that, again, on this theme of figuring out what Asian American culture is, we have two very different approaches. So Tamiya visited the archive and talked about how in order to find images to work with that weren't stereotypical of Asian people, she actually had to find things that weren't published in America. So she took these um, images from um, a magazine that was published either in Japan or Vietnam and um, traced the images out and then silkscreened them, right? Um, Larry Hama, on the other hand, I think has a totally different approach where he's sort of regurgitating all of those stereotypes back out as this cartoon. <clears throat> so you have uh, the violent invading horde, you have the opium smoker, you have the over-sexualized Asian woman in the short dress. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, some artists like Tamiya made a deliberate choice to never use stereotypical imagery, and others thought it was a, a strategy to uh, present that back and examine it and um, work through it that way. A grain, a tiny grain of sand, landing in the belly, in the belly of the monster. And time is telling only how long it takes, layer after layer, as its beauty unfolds, until its captor it holds in peril. I started as an assistant curator at the Museum of Chinese in America. I became very interested in like the institutional history of the museum itself, because I think it's always a question of like, what is Chinese American identity? What is the mission of this museum? And for me, it was very helpful to kind of look back at the museum's own history. So what I learned is that the museum's founders actually met at Basement Workshop. It was this moment in time when all of 
this uh, material, the kind of material history of Chinatown was literally being thrown out. So they got together and founded this thing called the New York Chinatown History Project, which gradually morphed into the museum. But I became very curious about Basin Workshop and about all of this Asian American movement activism that was happening in the 70s. So I just wanted to learn more and more. And then that research evolved into the exhibition here, which was called Serve the People, the Asian American Movement in New York. I asked Ryan if there is anything that surprised him when researching Basement Workshop. It's not really directly related to Basement Workshop, but one thing that surprised me, you know, I was doing a lot of this reading and research in the context of being politicized also by the Black Lives Matter movement. And what I found out was that the really one of the largest, if not the largest, Asian American protest up to that point was in 1975, and it was against police brutality. Um, so you had this young engineer named Peter Yu who was beaten by the police. And these young activists, most of them from Asian Americans for Equality, saw this as a way to galvanize the Chinatown community, the Asian American community. And it was, I believe, the only time in history Chinatown called a general strike. You know, small businesses are really the backbone of Chinatown's economy. So for the community to call a general strike was really a remarkable thing. And you had something like 20,000 people march on City Hall demanding and end to police brutality and justice for this innocent man who was beaten. So I think examples like that and histories like that are really important to uh, recuperate and present because they give a completely different context for what's happening in the moment. The collective was criticized by other community groups for accepting government funding and grants. I asked Ryan to elaborate on this conflict, as well as other disagreements between organizers working in Chinatown at this time. In this explosion of activism and culture that was the Asian American movement, you had a lot of different ideas about what the goal was of this organizing. And a lot of people believed during the Asian American movement that the goal was revolution, that you know it was actually inevitable that America, just like China and Cuba and Vietnam would head towards a sort of crisis because of its capitalist nature. And so you had a lot of people really actively agitating towards that end. So uh, Basin Workshop uh, was a target for this because they were such a prominent and visible arts organization. But Basin Workshop never really took um, that kind of revolutionary stance as a collective. Um, and a lot of people thought it, that it should. So there was a lot of agitation and a big effort by some of these groups to kind of push basement in that direction or to move basement's resources towards more um, radical organizing. And that actually ended up for a while splitting the organization. And I think basement had to um, give up some of its spaces. At the time, it had four or five different locations that did different things. So splitting up the spaces and giving some over to that radical organizing and um, keeping the rest for more of the arts and cultural work they were doing. I think in retrospect, it's easy to say that, you know, everyone was kind of ultimately on the same side. And it's easy to see that even though these conflicts were very um, upsetting and violent, it was ultimately born out of idealism and wanting to move forward with uh, the culture and with politics. But at the time, I think it was a very um, tense and uh, damaging discussion. 
I asked Ryan if Basement Workshop was ever recognized by museums or other cultural institutions. Yeah, I would say ironically, actually, Basement probably got more recognition in the late 90s and early 2000s. But I think it's true that we're in a moment now where museums are having to recognize um, the history of collectives of color, um, women's collectives, queer collectives. But I think the even harder, more difficult barrier to surmount is treating objects that were not produced for galleries with the same weight as objects that were produced for galleries. Um, And I think that is going to take a long time to change. But something like Yellow Pearl or some of the posters that Basement produced or objects like Bridge, uh, which to me are at least as interesting as the things I see in galleries, um, are often not treated with the same respect or value. So I think that is changing in bits and pieces and hopefully a lot of these histories will be seen uh, by more people. A huge thank you to Ryan for sharing his research on Basement Workshop with us. To learn more about Basement Workshop and to see some of the publications mentioned in this episode, such as Bridge and Yellow Pearl, visit the archive during our open hours. You can also visit our website to see some of the images from Ryan's presentation. To learn more about the journal Signal, which includes Ryan's article, among other interesting articles about political graphics globally, and to find out where you can pick up a copy, visit our show notes. You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. The archive is collectively run and volunteered powered. If you like what you heard today, consider making a donation to help keep the archive up and running. Just go to interferencearchive.org and click on donate. From all of us at Audio Interference, thanks for listening.